I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you this morning. Taking your calls, phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions and comments at 57500. I love this. Uh, we were talking about sleeves protecting your arms, and uh, we have a listener who says, yeah, they bought their bought some sleeves on Amazon. They saved their arms and knuckles. Uh, they purchased... Um, they, what they did was they used these to decorate their artificial Christmas tree for Festival of Trees. And they say, hey, that really helped their arms, saved their arms and knuckles for doing that. So there's another use for the sleeves this time of year if you're not out in your garden. Yeah, anytime you're working with conifers, especially some of the sharper needled spruce and pine trees, uh, they're great for that. Because a lot of the plants that have those sharp edges to them also seem to cause rashes. You know, when I work in raspberries and in, you know, even pine trees, not only do you have the scratches, but it seems like they just itch. Mm -hmm. And so these can help save you from that, too. Yeah, I said, I made a snarky comment. Why not just wear a long-sleeved shirt? And then I started looking up the sleeves. Well, one of the reasons is you can wear your tank top with these, first of all, if it's really hot. And they're a little bit thicker, material than a long a long sleeve shirt yeah and so they will protect you from that there was a security guard coming up to the web we've got to be a little careful (laughs) but they are for that and then the other advantage i think you know the long sleeve shirts you can wear like a light colored shirt and it's not really that hot but when you're moving in the garden and you know moving things around sometimes a long sleeve shirt can be, you know, get a little bit twisted. And so I think that if, you know, especially if you're wearing a tank top or something, that these sleeves are to that advantage, they give you an advantage there because your mobility and how you move is freed up. Yeah, we were talking about these because we were talking about great gifts for gardeners. And so that's how we got on that topic. And if you have some unusual, unique gift that you've come up with for the gun come up with for the gardener in your family. We'd love to hear from you. You can text us your comment at 57500. Christmas on the mind of people, not just gifts, but their poinsettias. So I think this is a good opportunity, Ton. You had put together a video on how to take care of poinsettias, and I think it's a good time to review some basic tips for folks. Yes, and we had Brian Lloyd on last week also to talk about this. Poinsettias have been bred to be easy to take care of within reason. You know, 50 or 70 years ago when you would get a poinsettia, you would buy it a day or two before Christmas and bring it home because within a week it would be dropping leaves. And and so there's been a lot of breeding and to eliminate that so you can actually grow them as a houseplant if you're careful. So the number one thing with poinsettias for me is to not overwater them. You know, they come in that decorative sleeve, you know, you that will have a little pot inside of it. So you have this foil sleeve that has no drainage and you go water it and then you get standing water in that sleeve that will rot the roots and kill the poinsettia within a week. Mm-hmm. 
So that's going to be the number one thing is to take it out of the sleeve, water it in the sink and, you know, water it thoroughly and then let the excess water drain off and then put it back in the sleeve. So another principle with taking care of poinsettias is that they do not like drafty cold air or hot dry air. And so away from heat vents and away from doors leading outside if you can, because repeated exposure to air that's below freezing will also cause them to drop their leaves and shorten their life. Brian was talking a little bit about the different varieties of poinsettias. Uh, One thing we didn't talk about, though, is poinsettias also come in tree form. They do, and they're trained that way. In the wild, a poinsettia can be up to 13 feet tall, at least. And so it's not that they're a tree, but they're a really tall perennial or a bush. Well, it looks like a tree. It has yes. like a And so like what a tree. they've done is taken a cutting and then trained it. And as it tried to grow leaves off of that central stem, they pruned any side stems off and they pruned the leaves off as it grew up. And so it's been trained into a little pom-pom tree form poinsettia. I had one for years and I didn't have, I just thought that was a separate type of plant, a different variety. of. No, they've been trained that way to grow in that form. So if somebody wanted to do that with their current poinsettia at the end of the season, would they actually be successful in any way? They could be. What I would do is save it and then sometime just grow it through the year and then in sometime in early September, cut it to down to three or four inches and then let it start to regrow. And what you will or when they cut it, just cut all the branches beside one central one and then let that central one be the poinsettia. And as it grows taller, you take a few of those lower leaves off gradually to get it higher up into the air. Okay, now that would be a fun experiment. I'm going to have to try that one of these years. Because over the winter, I'm always looking for something. And last year, it was succulents. Um, This year, I've just been a little bit busy and haven't really paid a lot of attention to my succulents. But I usually pick some fun thing, you know, just to get me through the winter. Your fun thing is that you're looking at micro tomatoes. I want to know about the progress that you've made. Well, I've been purchasing seed. And just because of my schedule... And availability of light, I'm going to start them in January. Okay. And get them up and going under grow lights. And then because natural sunlight starts to really increase in late February and March, I'll use my grow lights plus the extra light in the window for them to start producing fruit. And so I have four or five varieties. I still need to write them all down, but they'll get anywhere from a foot to two feet tall, and they all have little cherry tomatoes on them. So that is something that we're going to look forward to hearing. Yes, and grow them as house plants. January, because we all want to grow food. We do. We all want, well, people who listen to the show want to grow food, I should say. And, you know, if we can do that inside and we can do it with micro tomato plants, I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, and you're not going to expect you know, enough tomatoes to can. And it might just be you have six or seven for a salad once a week in the winter, but their production will greatly increase with increased sunlight. It's not going to be like the lemon tree where I'm going to get 50 or 60? No, not especially not initially. <laughs> oh, next caller says they have several... Or texter says they have uh, several small mugo pines. Some areas look yellow. Do they need iron or uh, what other treatment would they need? And when would you do that and how often? 
They're just wondering there why. There could be several out. things going on. Okay. They may need to get some of the yellow branches into their extension office because it could be scale, which can be devastating to the plants, or it could be salt damage, or it could be overwatering. There could be a number of things, and so I would get some samples to their local extension office. What is the lifespan of a dwarf mugo? Easily 50 years if they're kept healthy. Really? Well, yes. how come mine died then? I don't know. <laughs> there, I know of some up in Clearfield that were planted when I was probably 10. Uh-huh. And they get almost no water, and they're just perfectly happy. I took too much care of them. That was the problem. It could be, and sometimes when we take too much care of plants. But it a lot of it will depend on the cultivar, and a lot of it is just luck. You know, was the, the soil fairly disease-free? You know, could there have been something wrong when they were transplanted that over 10 years they mm. didn't survive? But there's lots of examples of different forms of mugo pine being 50 to 70 years old and still perfectly healthy. Okay, I'm a little feeling a little sad about that right now. But do they usually need iron? Not usually. And that's why I was a little suspicious that there's something else going on. Because if it needed iron, every needle, especially on the tips, would be equally yellow. And if it's just a branch here or there, that sounds more like maybe scale or maybe disease. Okay. We're going to take a break, come back with the final segment of the show. If you want to ask a question, now is the time to call 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us for the KSL Greenhouse, Maria Anton with you for this final segment. And it looks like we are going to get a white Christmas. I almost made it the whole program. Without forgetting to turn your mic yes. on. <laughs> I, darn. Last segment. Everything. Oh, well. And so it looks like we have a storm headed in tonight. Yes. Starting tonight and then rain going into snow Sunday over Monday. Mm-hmm. So it looks like it may be another fun commute Monday morning. Uh, our next listener would like to know, can you recommend a brand of grow lights to purchase? You know, I have purchased three or four different brands and it doesn't matter all that much. I, what I will do is order off Amazon, a a grow kit and they'll have a stand with a light or two lights 
And no matter what brand I've ordered, I've been pretty happy with it. If you want to do it inexpensively, you can go and buy shop lights, which are just fluorescent bulbs that are mounted that you would then normally screw up under a cabinet or to the ceiling. But these shop lights with the fluorescent bulbs you purchase are actually quite sufficient for growing plants. And they're going to cost you 25%, even with making a stand for them of what a grow system would cost. And so you can use two by fours or PVC to make a stand. And what you want is to have that two feet above the base of the, above the table surface. Mm -hmm. And you mount those lights to chains so that you can adjust them up and down because you want the lights six inches above the tops of the plants. But that's the least expensive and they will last for quite a while. Um, some people recommend replacing them yearly. Mike Karen, who I think is coming on next week, actually is like, no, nah, I've used mine three or four years and they're great. Mm -hmm. But the least expensive option are shop lights and building your own stand. Yeah, the most critical thing, again, is that keeping them six inches yes, above. Especially the with plants. fluorescence. Sometimes they can get a little hot if they're too close to the bulbs. But when you get farther than six inches away, you lose energy exponentially. And so you don't want them two or three feet above. All right, next listener says they have three young red maples in Lake Point. They live up on the bench. Uh, what can they do in the spring to help them grow as quickly as possible? They say, I know that they won't grow quick, and they did wrap them for the winter, by the way. Compliments on the wrapping. So you don't want them growing six feet a year, but what you might be able to do is get some Osmocote or lawn fertilizer, as long as it's not weed and feed, and just put, depending on the size of the trees, an eighth to a quarter of a cup of fertilizer around the base of the trees in March and then do that again in mid-May. Mm -hmm. And that will probably force an extra foot to 18 inches a year. Uh, next listener is concerned that the branches on their pine tree are yellow. I think, is this the one we hit with the chlorosis or is this different? No, this is a different one. It could be drought stress causing it. It could be iron, a lack of iron causing it. But the yellowing needles is usually just a sign that the tree is stressed and you have to investigate further. And so when I see that, I will look at the overall pattern. If it's the entire tree, it's a nutrient deficiency or a root problem. If it's portions of the tree, then that more points to insect problems such as scale or bores. So you really need to just look at the overall pattern. Okay. In the final minutes of the show, we do have a storm coming in tonight. Uh, a lot of people put down ice melt. What, what are the dangers of ice melt for our grass and for plant, you know, plants in our flower beds. Yeah. What, what is the if risk? If you use too much ice melt, it'll cause the cement to cat face. And that's when the top quarter inch just basically turns into a pow powder because of the salts. Um, plants, if you use too much, it can kill your plants. But there's also liability issues. You know, you don't want the neighbors slipping on your driveway. Oh, the north end of our house yes. on that sidewalk is just treacherous. So what I will do when I run into that problem is I will use the ice melt minimally in those areas, but then I'll get something like kitty litter or, 
even like a shop absorbent and spread it with the salt so that not only do I have the salt melting things, but then I've got some grit down that will allow people to walk even if it is a little bit icy. And kitty litter is not dangerous or No, toxic it's not. Or? You can sweep it right into your grass. It it will be fine. Um, it's an, It's safer than overusing those ice melts. And so... There are some ice melts out there containing, I think they're calcium salts that are safer for plants and your cement. Mm -hmm. I think one of the worst ones is just rock salt that you'd use in your water softener. But a general policy for cement is you never put ice melt on cement that is under two years old because it hasn't completely cured yet. And you can do far more damage to new cement than you can that had a chance to properly set and cure. Okay. Are there any things that are especially susceptible to damage because of ice melt? Well, you always see it on grass, but any shrubs growing along a walkway or along the road or trees, you know, there are some areas out in Eagle Mountain and Saratoga and then across the freeway in Alpine that UDOT plows throw snow from previously salted roads and all the plant material 15 to 20 feet back from the road is pretty much dead because of the salt. I mean, UDOT doesn't really have a choice, No, but you do see that. And so if you are using ice melt in those areas, you will want to, as soon as you can, flush that soil with your sprinklers to wash the salts down into the soil far enough that they're out of reach of most plant roots. On those water-wise strips that people are putting together, does the bark mulch or stuff like that help that's not right really. next to the sidewalk? It may help keep the salts at bay for a while, but they'll eventually work their way through. Now, on a homeowner level, there are several ice melt alternatives, like the grits, but they also will have things that will melt the ice that are more sugar-based. Like they'll use sugar beet pulp and get a little more juice out of it. That's one product I've seen. And it is one that you can spray that reduces the melting point of water to to where even if it's, you know, 20 or 15 degrees, it'll still melt off. And so if you're concerned, you find these alternatives at places like Home Depot. All right. That's it for our show today. Join us again next week from 8 to 11. Uh, Ton, have a very nice weekend and uh, have you fun also. with your family. I'm excited to hear about the dance rehearsal tonight. Yeah, daughter's got a dance recital, so we'll hopefully if things go well. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.